Hlu, Kai, Hlu, Hedran, Hlu. To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Everybody and welcome back to What's This Dow All About. My name is Todd Perry. With me is the great Dr. Carl Totten. Good morning, USA. <laughs> <laughs> it's morning in America. Um, <laughs> let's see here. So we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about on this show. Um, the audio will sound a little bit different because this time I'm recording from my garage, when normally I'm in a little soundproof studio thing that I have built in my backyard. Uh, circumstances have evicted me to the garage, <laughs> which circumstances I married 11 years ago. And uh, <laughs> so uh, let's see. So it see. goes. So it I, goes. <laughs> such as such as like, we all we all sacrifice, you know. <laughs> she sacrifices for me as well. Let's see here. So uh, on today's show, uh, it's it's kind of funny because sometimes Dr. Totten uh, will will do a show and we'll have just you know three separate topics set out or whatever. And in the end, we're like, well, they all kind of dovetailed into the same thing. You know, and this one from the onset, I think they all kind of dovetail to the same thing, which maybe means they'll diverge because it, it, it always goes not how you think, you know. Um, but let's see here. Today we're going to talk about uh, a passage from the Litsu about behaving naturally. Uh, we've also got a listener mail uh, about basically about how can humans violate the Tao. And we're going <laughs> to finish up with... With chapter 34 of... I was just going to say, I think that's a pertinent topic. (laughs) Humans violating the Tao. Looking at the state of uh, America and the world right now, there's a lot of violations of the Tao (laughs) occurring, it it appears. We're living in um, very uh, sensitive and um, unusual times. (laughs) Oh, yes. What was it the person that said, may you live in interesting times? Maybe. <laughs> I'm tired of interesting at this point. <laughs> Let's see here. So uh, our first topic here we want to get into. I found this passage actually on Reddit, which is if anybody uses Reddit, there's a Reddit DAO forums, which are really good, which just have daily conversations between really intelligent people about this stuff. And... Um, so I kind of yeah, I always look at that every day, and then sometimes if I find something interesting being talked about on there, I'll uh, bring it to the show. But basically, uh, somebody shared a passage from the Litsu, which uh, for those of you who are the uninitiated, you have the kind of ma- major books in the Taoist canon. You have the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. You have the Changsa by Changsa. You have the I Ching by a guy named Larry Ching. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure who wrote the I Ching. Um, Dr. Totten, who wrote the I Ching? <clears throat> Just a bunch of sages came together? 
A bunch, yeah, that's true. Uh, although it's attributed to, um, you know, one of the uh, com- or at least certainly commentaries were, were attributed to, you know, one of the um, you know prominent Chinese uh, emperors. <laughs> wow. But I, as, uh, I guess that's like you know when the boss takes credit for the peons' yeah, work, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, it's the emperor taking credit for my work again. <laughs> Uh, and so then this is from the Litsu, which probably, you know, ranks number three or number four in the Taoist canon. And this came out after Changsa. Uh, but in here they talk about behaving naturally. When one of Yang Chu's friends died, Yang Chu went to the funeral laughing and singing and showed no signs of mourning. When another of his friends died, Yang Chu hugged the dead man and wept bitterly. Ordinarily, people are happy about birth and sad about death. Why did Yang Chu laugh at the death of one person and cry at the death of another? Yang Chu found nothing sad about the man who died after living a life to the fullest. In fact, he felt happy for the friend who left the world as a contented man. However, Yang Chu was sad about his other friend's death because he felt this man died before his time. In both cases, Yang Chu was simply responding naturally to the circumstances. So this brings up the idea, Dr. Totten, of how do we respond naturally to situations and at, at, what, at what point is something a natural response versus an unnatural, right? Like, I kind of feel like in a way everything I do is natural on some level uh, because it came from me, you know, uh, but... I also understand that there are some situations where our behavior, we aren't just reacting to what's around us. We are reading the room. Sometimes we have a goal in a social situation. We want to get something, and we have to use a little bit of manipulation. Right. Uh, sometimes we have a job interview, and we go in, and we have to um, present ourselves in a more flattering light. Uh, sometimes we're on a first date and want to present ourselves in a very flattering light. Uh, now... These things seem to be almost a violation of naturalness. Where do we draw the line, Dr. Totten? Am I on the wrong, wrong path here, right path? Uh, what do you think? No, I think you're spot on. Also, you know, just because something comes, quote, natural to someone doesn't mean it's necessarily right. <laughs> yes, there could be a lot of violent impulses we all have to take yeah. down. I mean, look at the history of the world. Uh, obviously, uh, aggression violence, um, uh, belittling other people, taking advantage of people. I mean, a lot of things appear to come, quote, natural to people, but it's uh, it, it, it doesn't aspire to what, like, Abraham Lincoln called our higher angels. Yeah. So one of the most important qualities to develop in life is the quality of discernment, because without discernment, we tend to react in a similar or even in a stilted manner in different situations, which can often result in inappropriate behavior. So we need some nuance, some sensitivity, some context, even historical context, which then allows us to provide an appropriate response in varying situations, depending on not only on our perceptions, but on our the perspective that we're going to take as a result of our perceptions. And I think that's one of the things, one of the reasons why Taoists spend a lot of time turning the light around, taking a look at how we're thinking and feeling, what factors are contributing to 
our perception and then therefore the perspectives that we're going to take. Because if that's inadequate or stilted or traumatized so that we're triggered to produce responses that are too much or too little, out of sync, at the wrong time, then we're capable of coming manifesting a lot of very inappropriate or even destructive impulses because we're not able to see clearly the big picture. We're not able to pr- appropriately balance yin and yang so that out of a sense of wholeness, we're able to respond most appropriately with a sense that's going to actually have the greatest impact for the greatest number of people and isn't just say, just a selfish response. So when we enter situations with an an agenda, like you mentioned, you know, I think we have to be able to discern whether or not our agenda will will resonate with that of another's stance or with your wife. You know, perhaps you can find common ground where the situation, the solution, is essentially a win-win uh, solution where you both receive something in the exchange, for example. Yeah. Uh, do you think that also when it comes to discernment, I, I think that I think when it comes to acting naturally, I think that let's say we're in the job interview where we're in a social situation where we kind of want to control our behavior and present a certain side to ourselves. Um, I think this uh, piece from Litsu would suggest that there's a way for us to present ourselves, even though we want something in a natural way. And that's, you know, if you're going into this social situation and you present yourself unrealistically or as something that the other person can read off you just as false, then you want to back away from that. And there's a natural way to kind of split the uprights on the idea, right? Like, I took a class in stand-up comedy many years ago, and the, the teacher was talking about, you know, everybody has to have some kind of an easily digestible persona because when you come out on the stage, the people looking at you, they kind of want to sum up who you are quickly, and you want to show them who you are quickly, and therefore they'll get the context of your humor, mm-hmm. right? Because if, if they don't get where you're, as you always say, where you coming from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, if they don't get where you're coming from, then they won't necessarily understand the humor because humor, half of it's based on context, not right. necessarily the words, right? Right. So, like, you know where Richard Pryor's coming from the moment you see him walk out on stage <laughs> and how he's walking and what he's wearing and how he's presenting himself. So the idea is if you go into this job interview and you're trying to sell yourself as something you aren't, uh, people will be able to read that pretty quickly on a gut level. You know, mm-hmm. or or if you're on that date and trying to sell yourself as somebody that you aren't, uh, people are going to get that too. You know, there, there's there's an incongruity that people sense. You yes, know? yes, exactly. So the key is to kind of, I guess, understand that and 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 know when you're being out of bounds, even with your own self. Mm-hmm. And for something like a job interview, obviously, one is always trying to put one's best foot forward, you know, you know, the, you know, I, I, I started my career and I'm a psychologist now, but uh, I started my career as a rehabilitation counselor, working with people with disabilities, physical and, um, and mental, uh, many of whom had uh, e- either they had never worked before, you know, and large, largely based on, you know, the severity of the di- disability that they had, or they had been working and had been injured 
again, physically or mentally, and could no longer do their usual and customary work. Yeah. And so what I had to do was to get them retrained or trained and educated for the first time if they were younger. And then I had to coach them and how I had to teach them how to write a resume. I had to teach them job, what we call job seeking skills training, how to present yourself to an employer, how to go through a, an interview. And you know, we had to practice. I had to coach them because, again, many of these people had never done that in their entire life. They yeah. were completely clueless, you know. And so I, be, I had to become very skillful at teaching people how to put their best foot forward because sometimes people who had no context, you know, they would just blur out everything, <laughs> you know, in a job interview. And I'm sure that would leave the uh, people who were thinking about hiring them, you know, kind of aghast, you know, oh, yeah. uh, and going, I don't know about this, you know. Yes, I want to help the handicapped, you know, but this person is... Um, seems to be kind of out of bounds. And so there's this fine line between being authentic and knowing what to share, what not to share, especially right away. You know, you know, there's things that you share once you've been around people for enough period of time and things you don't share at the initial date, so to speak. <laughs> oh, man, I tell you, Dr. Dr. Totten. <laughs> I, I tell you, Dr. Totten, this is a little off the mat, but this was crazy. I Back in the day, you know, I used to sell refrigerators at Sears when I was in college. Mm -hmm. And we had a guy who got hired who came to the sales floor. And, you know, the sales floor is a very sociable place because it's all salespeople who are chatty and, you know, competitive. And when there's no customers, we just sit around and would make fun of each other and poke and prod and, you know, play our <laughs> games or whatever. And there's one guy who was his first day on the job. And he's got his suit on and everything, and he just happens to mention that he has a large tattoo across his chest, and this was a Caucasian gentleman, that said pure wood, uh, which that he had covered, which was like a white supremacist thing. Oh, my. <laughs> and, you know, I guess pure wood would mean like your pure hardened whiteness or something. I don't know, man. But everybody was like... Whoa! <laughs> Way to overshare on the first day of work to everybody. Oh, so TMI, too much information. <laughs> tell me about your white supremacist past, new employee. The nice thing was the guy had gotten over it and had moved on in life and was happy to cover his tattoo and make a new life for himself. So that was oh, okay. That was good, but it was a heck of a thing to drop on somebody the first day in the office. <laughs> yeah, you, you, one needs to watch one's presentation. <laughs> you know, one, one of the uh, gentlemen that I helped get a job when I was a rehab counselor, he had been in a mental hospital for almost 15 years because of paranoid schizophrenia, actually. Oh. And so he was on heavy, he'd been treated for, like I said, 15 years at least, and he was on heavy anti-psychotic medications which controlled his hallucinations and delusions and all of those things because I think he actually suffered, if I recall right, from paranoid schizophrenia. And so the medications controlled all that, but it made him look and sound pretty stilted in, in many of his just verbal interactions. And so, you know, I sent him out on several jobs 
And uh, he was definitely the most qualified, extremely bright gentleman. You know, I'd send him to school for, like, computers or something. And, uh, but no one would hire him. And, and so, I, you know, I brought him back in and I said, look, uh, you know, I know you're doing your best, but we're going to have to work on your presentation. <laughs> because what he would do, he'd sit there and without smiling or nodding or moving his eyes, he would just bore right into your eyes, you know, oh. with no expression on his face. Again, not because he was trying to be mean or anything, just because he didn't know any better. And his right. medications had limited the expressiveness of his continents, you might say. So I actually had to uh, kind of role play. Okay, I'm going to be the interviewer and you be, you know, we went back and forth and I actually had to coach him and teach him, you know, to look around a little bit, to smile every now and then, to nod his head, you know, just kind of basic things. But the very next interview I sent him on, he was immediately hired. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and about three months later, he found on his own a better job that paid even more money on his own. Heck yeah. <laughs> so that was great. That was, that was a, a big success story that brought home to me the need to be really in sync with how we're presenting ourselves in various situations. And for some people that comes natural, and for other people, for one reason or another, in this gentleman's case, because of the nature of his disability, and the medications used to treat it, it did not come so natural, and he had to practice a bit. <laughs> well, you know, that adds to the thing where, you know, going from the lead Sioux story, it's like, okay, how did this man react to a situation, of, you know, the situation of death? But it's also, how do you naturally interact with another being? Because as we know, you know, conversation is a back and forth and I listen to you and you listen to me and we vibe together and we play social jazz, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the more pleasant people are is the more comfortable you are playing that back and forth with them and that it makes the entire engagement more natural mm -hmm. and then which will probably end up being more enjoyable for everyone. Yes. By right? the way, Todd, that's got to be the title of your next book, right? Social Jazz by Todd Perry. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. <laughs> uh, you know, so I there's often a solution to lots of these things that when we kind of inoculate ourselves with the Tao and understanding of the Tao, then things like how do I act natural or what's the limits of naturalness comes easily. Like, you know, as we often talk about, there's the chapter where they say manners only arose because the Tao was forgotten. So you have to have prescriptions of behavior because people are not already in accordance with Tao. When you're in accordance with Tao, then you don't need to make any kind of rules for social engagement. And if you look at chapter 23 of the Tao Te Ching, it kind of talks about this, that your naturalness will flow after you've kind of inoculated yourself, you know, already put yourself in line with the Tao, then these things, then you will be like uh, Yang Chu in this story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, f I found this translation of, of the Tao, and I'm not sure who did it. But it's not Fu Fang, but I think it's, it's valuable. And it says, if you open yourself to the Tao, you are at one with the Tao, and you can embody it completely. If you open yourself to insight, you are at one with insight, and you can use it completely. If you open yourself to loss, you are at one with loss, and you can accept it completely. 
it's a lesson we need to learn these days about how to how to lose. Um, and then finally, <laughs> if you open yourself to the Tao, then trust your natural responses. Everything will fall into place. Mm-hmm. So I think that feels like the solution as is the solution to all these things that once we kind of understand this and really get it in our bones, then our behavior will be appropriate and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And the difficulty, of course, is that you know we have this very powerful uh, organ between our ears called a brain. <laughs> mm. And it's filled with all sorts of assumptions and attitudes and opinions and uh, ideas and concepts and conditioning. Uh, uh, the, I, we were talking earlier about the, you know, our, the Zen master was here yesterday, and one of the things he talked about, in fact, was preconditioning. You know how our consciousness is preconditioned to filter reality in a particular way, <laughs> oh. and that keeps us from well, essentially being in the in touch with that discernment that we were talking about, which is needed to really be fully present in the moment in the Tao in an appropriate, balanced fashion. And so, we, that again, that um, kind of mindful meditation, turning the light around, being able to truly discern, you know, who we are and where we're coming from is, is very important if we're going to actually be responsive in how we're living our life, interacting with others, and contributing to this big mix of ideas that is the modern world. So next we're going to get to listener mail, but before that, as you all know, there are two ways to support the show. The first is through Patreon, uh, where you can hear our new show, The 10,000 Things, which expands on the ideas discussed on this show and explores new areas of philosophy, psychology, and culture. We already have four episodes, one on the seminal book, Escape from Freedom, by Eric Fromm. We have more of our interview with Jane English from the other day, uh, an episode on the politics of experience by Artie Lang, and a new episode about journeys beyond the body and Dr. Mm. Totten's work, work with the Monroe Institute. Uh, and then in February, for those who are subscribed to that, uh, we're going we're gonna to have an episode coming out about the uh, Ho'oponopono. Do I say that right, yes, Dr. Totten? that's right. <laughs> the Hawaiian method of spiritual cleaning and healing. Uh, we also have blogs up there by Dr. Carl Totten, and all it costs is five ninety nine a month. Um, you could just go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, backslash what's this DAO all about. Uh, there's also a link on our webpage under donate, and it's you cancel any time. It's five ninety nine a month. But right now you spend five ninety nine, you're gonna get access to all these shows. And it's just, you know, just like same shows we do here, we're just getting a little more in deep about things that aren't necessarily DAO related. And then, of course, you can support the show through PayPal, and there's a link right on our website. Uh, for $35, you get three guided meditations by Dr. Totten and a never-heard-before podcast about finding your talents. So, Wow, such a deal. What a deal, right? <laughs> $5.99, right? And go listen to us. What else, what else are people doing right now? You're all stuck at home. You know. uh, spend some time and, and with probably, us. You're probably not listening to something... Uh, Nearly as interesting as what we're talking about. That's what I'm saying. Look, you could sit there and binge Sabrina the Teenage Witch all right, right now on Netflix or Cobra Kai. Yeah, I know it's entertaining. But, or you can learn how to cleanse yourself with a, a special Hawaiian method, you know. Well, that one comes out in February. So you get one show every month with the Patreon. Now that the business is out of the way, 
listener mail. Very good. Howdy, Todd and Dr. Carl. There's a lot of talk in Taoism and on this podcast about humans violating the Tao or violating their nature. I see most of human, human civilization, art, science, technology, and even something like genetic engineering as natural expressions of humanness. In your eyes, what specific modern things do humans do that violate nature slash the Tao? Can other animals violate the Tao too? Humans are an animal part of nature, so if humans are able to act outside of the Tao, but other animals cannot, what makes humans special? How are we able to violate the Tao itself when it is the whole? If other animals are able to violate the Tao, why do we say human behaviors are violations instead of a natural part of the process too? In serendipity, Trevor. So this one is a question I would say it's out of my personal pay grade. This goes to you, Dr. Totten, because this is something I often wonder myself. If humans are natural and part of the world, how do we violate the Tao? You know, the, again, I think it kind of goes back to what a little comment I made a little while ago about, you know, from Abraham Lincoln about our you know, sourcing from our, our better nature, our better angels, if you will. Yeah, yeah, everything is part of the Tao, you know, right, wrong, good, bad, you know, black and white, so to speak. However, through discernment and sensitivity and, and awareness of balance and nuance, we, how we actually express ourselves and live our lives and the choices and decisions that we make can either contribute to uh, the betterment of ourself and others around us, or it can be at variance with that uh, by very large measure. <laughs> As again, who take a look around the world right now, we can see that. So I said to Trevor, you know, again, thank you for your listening to the show and your great questions. But and wh when it comes to human nature and the Tao, you know, the answers are multidimensional. Now, obviously, great violence is a part of human nature, violence towards other humans, towards animals, towards the environment, especially when greed is involved. Now, since all these things exist, they are part of human nature, but are they in alignment with the highest ethical principles of the Tao? Yeah. Part of learning spiritual, philosophical, and similar studies is really learning how to transcend the lower, more base aspects of human nature, such as, you know, I'm going to get my way into heck with everybody else, you know, you know, you know, you know, in other words, being very egocentric, and instead aspire towards more elevated and um, compassionate ways of being in the world. So learning to be more kind-hearted, more generous and loving would transcend being selfish, egotistical, and greedy, for example. Just because something comes natural to someone doesn't make it right. You know, there are different levels to reality, and where we are now within a polarized, bilateral, third-dimensional state of existence, and we're attached to things, and our ego is not at the energetic and level of consciousness that we want to perpetually remain attached to. So having a more fluid capacity moving towards the greater good for all humans, animals, the environment is the way of 
what I call the greater Tao. The highest domain involves wholeness, balance, unity consciousness, love, certainly. And this capacity is one of the things that allows us to evolve beyond where perhaps other biological animals may not always be able to. Of course, on the other hand, most animals are not cruel and evil just for the sake of being cruel and evil like some human beings are. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw that video of the uh, killer whales that uh, try to kill a seal. And the, seal, the seals on this iceberg and the killer whales surround it. But once they get the seal, they play with it. And one killer whale flips it over to the other killer whale, and they basically they play catch with this poor, poor animal. <laughs> I was like, they seem to be having fun with it, but, man, that's cruel. That is some low-end stuff to do to a seal. <clears throat> hey, whales just got to have fun, right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know, so, you know, while we need to accept things as they are to some extent, we always allow the path, the Tao, to evolve towards <clears throat> the the greater Tao, and again, that's why you know why we're talking with ourselves and our uh, listeners right now. We read constantly. We do a lot of self study. We meditate. We take a look at ourselves because these all becomes tools to really help our evolution. Um, because again, we're, we've all been preconditioned. And in um, it's, <clears throat> you mentioned the Ho'oponopono, the Hawaiian system, we're going to be talking about um, on our other show. And one of the things that I learned in that tradition is that every second, literally every second in the human subconscious, there are 11 million bits of data going mm. through our subconscious consciousness, brain, our unconscious. Now... Where do those things come from? Everywhere. And what is the content of all of that? Everything. <laughs> now, unfortunately, on a quantum physics level, everything is energy and everything is interconnected. That's just the way it is. But unfortunately, things that are more negative, that are more regressive, that are more hurtful, that are more painful, these things have a strong energetic charge and they tend to be sticky and hang around <laughs> a lot longer than things and easily often than things that are lighter and more fun and more um, uh, just more egalitarian, you might say. And so a lot of the things that people sense and feel and therefore are preconditioned to respond to are things that you, we might say come more and are more in, in alignment with the dark side, with the shadow part of human nature. And so if we aren't aware of that and if we aren't doing something to, again, recenter ourselves internally and externally with the greater Tao, if we, aren't, if we don't have tools and methods for doing that, it's possible that without intending to and without even knowing that we're doing it we're spreading the misery you know misery does love company <laughs> it really does you know and and it's just because of the nature of it it's you know depression and and hurtful and uh, abusive things these things are have a 
large uh, energetic signature because they're so hurtful and violent and uh, they, 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 they carry a lot of weight. And so we need to lighten up. <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's one of, one of the reasons why our show is very lighthearted, because I know we need to lighten up as human beings, because when we become serious and really attached to things, that's if you look back through human history, that's where a lot of violence can occur when people latch on without any flexibility to some pol political path or some religion or some spiritual teachings or some cult-like teachings. And that leads to enormous violence and just uh, negative negativity in the world. And we always have to guard against that. You know, to distill, I think, all of this, how, how, how does this work, Dr. Totten? Uh, we, we should be riding the wave instead of making waves. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, we're, we're going to make waves we, we, because you drop a, a, peb, a pebble in a lake, it's going to make waves. And so yeah. we're, we're all in the lake, so we're going to make <laughs> waves, but let's make g more gentle waves. <laughs> you know, we don't need a tsunami right now. <laughs> yeah, it's like when I was in the hot tub with my kid the other day, and me and my wife were just relaxing on the jets, and then the kid's slapping the water. So don't, don't be slapping the water is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing a lot of... A lot of water slapping has been happening in society <laughs> recently, as everybody knows. Oh, yes. And, uh, you just take a little glance over to Washington, D.C., you see lots of water slapping going on. Oh, yeah. And so we, we need to recenter ourselves, rebalance, and make sure that where we're coming from is coming from a position of unity, consciousness, harmony, and really what's best for the greater good of all people everywhere, people, animals, the land, the ecosystem, the planet, because you know, if we start destroying any of those, uh, our, our, our days are numbered. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on to Chapter 34 of the Tao Te Ching. Dr. Totten, would you like to read this one? Yes, so Chapter 34. The great Tao flows everywhere, both to the right and to the left. The 10,000 things depend on it. It holds nothing back. It fulfills its purpose silently and makes no claim. It nourishes the 10,000 things, and yet is not their Lord. It has no aim. It is very small. The 10,000 things return to it, yet it is not their Lord. It is very great. It does not show greatness and is therefore really great. <laughs> ah, yes. So, you know, in this chapter, Lao Tzu is really indicating that the Tao, while providing nurturance for all things, at the same time, it doesn't take control of all things. It does not dominate. As he said, it is not their Lord. Indeed, he says, it has no aim. It is very small. And as a result, it does not show greatness. It is therefore really great. <laughs> and so, you know, the Tao is all-encompassing and everywhere, so it has no need to brag. It doesn't need to show off. It doesn't need to control. It nourishes all equally, 
and you know, without any need for recognition. <laughs> so different than our current politics. <laughs> it simply is and allows all others to simply be as well. Humility and generosity are key and potent components and qualities of the Tao. And that's why I, I remember yesterday when the, the Zen master was here, he was talking about how abundant, and he said that the universe, the Tao, if you will, is, is generous. It's filled with generosity and abundance. And so in that sense, it's always, the, it's ultimately very positive because it's trying to nourish and create life. And the only way to do that is to be coming from a good place, you know. Yeah, but it also wrecks unbelievable destruction, <laughs> you know. Uh, in, in a sense, uh, it, you know, again, it's kind of like the tides, right, or the seasons of the year. You know, we go through spring and summer and fall and winter. And, you know, there are sometimes as part of nature, you know, there are winds and tides and hurricanes and tsunamis and other things and these creates a certain amount of uh, disruption obviously but yet overall in spite of that things tend to have a sense of uh, homeostasis you know they tend to return to a a vital balance if you will mm -hmm. oh, in yeah. the end and to the extent that we can align ourselves with that tendency to return to a vital balance that's going to actually nourish life and nourish the well-being of the planet and everyone and everything on and in the planet. To that extent, we are resonating with the greater Tao and the greatest aspects that are aligned with the Tao. Yeah, and I guess, you know, if if you think about the destructiveness and the creativeness, I, I think maybe lots of times that gets into a uh, um, kind of shallow way of looking at it. Because if you think about like a volcano, right? And a volcano is a completely destructive event. But then also without vol volcanoes, you wouldn't have Hawaii, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, and so if we just look at it from this small kind of human per perspective, we see destruction and we see creation. But... The Tao is the mix and balance of chaos and disorder and destruction uh, and harmony, you know, with it. So I guess it gets a little maybe small-minded to look at it just from these small little things mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, oh, there's a tidal wave and that's the violent destructive force, but also that tidal wave changed the landscape in certain ways and probably had a benefit at a certain point, yes. right? Look at the Big Bang. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, our entire existence came out of an enormous <laughs> explosion of, of energy. And, you know, stars, you know, the, the reason that we're even alive right now is because stars billions of years ago, you know, collided, you know, with incredible violence. And out of that explosion of cosmic energy, new life was formed. Mm. And so, you know, there, there's, a, there's usually a bigger picture when it comes to nature. Unfortunately, when it comes to the lower aspects of human nature, you know, again, greed, avarice, uh, uh, you know, w wanting to have things uh, only one one's way and not being sensitive to the needs of others, wanting to dominate, manipulate, control, take over other people's resources, 
you know, be established things like colonialism, slavery, you know, all those types of things. When it comes to human nature, uh, we, we need to you know, often uh, work on it because over time, you know, the outcomes are not necessarily going to be as positive as when Mother Nature and her big bang <laughs> mm. <laughs> has to you know, create a, a, an explosion, but out of that ultimately is going to come more life and more energy for all time and for all beings everywhere. Yeah. If we can align with that type of energetic potential, then I think we're going to be okay. Mother Nature's Big Bang, by the way, is my next band name, Dr. Todd. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Mm-hmm.